taking responsibility, one of our core values, right? So each of us owning our part. So if there's something that has gone awry, you know, we start with ourselves. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ronan Leadership Podcast. It's uh, Wednesday afternoon, actually the Wednesday after Valentine's Day. I hope all of you were able to celebrate Valentine's Day in, in your own way. Janice and I had a great time and went downtown uh, on a trip and just enjoyed ourselves, and that, that's great. Let's get get a break from from the daily grind of business. Um, thank you for all of you who are subscribing. Our subscribership is really uh, going up. Uh, has been going up a lot in the last three or four months, so I appreciate it. Um, and so please tell your friends, uh, families, even tell your enemies about the, uh, the podcast and help them to hit the subscribe button and the like button and please spread the word. Also, um, my usual shameless plug, I have two books out right now, uh, The Art of Ronin Leadership, which is my first book, uh, more of a macro version of kind of my philosophy and leadership. And then, uh, The Art of Executing Ronin Leadership Strategies which came about after feedback from people saying they liked the first book, but they wanted some more kind of hands-on stuff. And yeah, I can see my, our guest has a, a copy, so that's wonderful. Um, so without further ado, uh, I'm really excited about this uh, podcast. And I told all of you before in some previous podcasts, we've got some really top talent lined up. And this is one of the top talents that I've met. Dennis and I have met since he came into the Valley. Uh, Jonathan Ullman is the CEO of the Mob Museum. Uh, for those of you who are not from this area or haven't heard of the Mob Museum, it is a wonderful uh, place to visit um, the history of sort of gangsters and, and mobs and also a lot of the history of the Las Vegas. And they've got some wonderful hands-on exhibits uh, that Jonathan will be able to tell you about. But it's it's really great for the community. Uh, we were able to actually take some kids there uh, from a from a uh, uh, charitable organization a couple of weeks ago, and that was great. Thank you, Jonathan, for setting that up. But uh, without further ado, I'd just like to welcome you to our podcast, Jonathan. Mike, thanks so much. It's an honor to be here with you. Great. Um, so you know, for for those uninitiated with the Mob Museum, can you tell us a little bit about the Mob Museum, kind of its history and what its purpose is all about. Sure. Yeah. So my museum, we're uh, uh, located in downtown Las Vegas. Yesterday was actually our 11th anniversary. So we uh, uh, we opened February 14th of 2012. Uh, wow. We've been going strong ever since. Um, it, it's really been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Um, the museum. Thank you. Thank you. And we celebrated with, as, as we always do on our anniversary, we did a free day for, uh, for locals. You know, we're very, very community, uh, oriented at the museum. Right. Um, so the mission of the museum is to advance the public understanding of organized crimes, history and impact on American society. So, um, it's a pretty broad mission. When you, mm -hmm. when you visit, you, uh, you see that we, occupy uh the former u.s post office and federal courthouse uh that first opened in 1933 in downtown las vegas so it's a building that's on the national registry of historic places 
Okay. Um, it's uh, uh, historic for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, um, you know, people for for people that might be listening from other parts of the country, 1933 doesn't necessarily sound old, but it is uh, <laughs> an old building by Las Vegas standards. So Las Vegas, you have to keep in mind, is the uh, the largest city that was born in the 20th century. You know, at the time that this building opened, uh, the population of Las Vegas was only about 5,000 people. So it wow. was uh, the first building that all federal agencies would have been housed under at that time. So it starts off with the post office, the courthouse, but pretty much every, you know, the the folks that came and built Nellis Air Force Base stayed at the building. The first agents for the FBI before there was a field office were in that building. Wow. Um, and it's it's historic uh, in part for its architecture. You know, Las Vegas uh, uh, doesn't have a great track record of uh, maintaining its historic structures. So uh, you don't get better examples of kind of depression era neoclassical architecture than our building. But beyond that, it's also historic for the um, events that took place in the courtroom. In particular, it was one of the locations of the, the um, Kefauver Committee hearings. So these mm. are were a series of U.S. Senate investigative hearings into organized crime and interstate commerce. So they took place in 1950, 1951. Uh, they were kind of known as the Kefauver Committee hearings because of the Senate, the senator from Tennessee, Estes Kefauver, who was the committee chair. Um, and they went around the country, 14 different cities around the country, and they were really extraordinary on a, on a number of different levels. I mean, one, just raising awareness about how insidious organized crime was. At, um, but also, you know, while doing that, these were the first hearings that were ever televised. And it was such a national phenomenon, you know, that people would, you know, businesses would close and schools would shut down and people would gather where they could to watch um, what happened. So um, that's that's the, the reason for the building being historic. Um, we we created this museum in part because then mayor. So if you go back to the uh, the early aughts, you know, uh, so mm -hmm. uh, then mayor Oscar Goodman, uh, who is still on our board and we kind of regard him as our chief visionary. He uh, uh, as mayor realized that this building was um, was no longer being utilized or was or, or not very much. I mean, they were still doing things, you know, so around. Um, they were still doing things like naturalization ceremonies, that sort of things. But most of the the larger federal cases were being handled in more modern courthouses up the road. Uh, and that it, the, the city came to recognize that the building could be acquired from the federal government, but it came with two deed covenants. So one, it had to be rehabilitated. And two, uh, it had to be repurposed for a cultural use. So the question was, what what type of cultural use, or in other words, what type of museum would make the most sense? So thinking about um, Las Vegas history, as well as important stories that really aren't told nationally. And so we mm. go by, so as much as we, you know, our name is the Mom Museum, our descriptor is the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement, because we tell the story um, with a specific focus on Las Vegas, but much more broadly of how organized crime has come to develop um, uh, across the country and even internationally from the turn of the 20th century to present day. So if you come to the museum, you take a journey uh, that starts turn of the 20th century uh, and you see um, 
you know, all sorts of, you know, you know, exhibits that take you back to, you know, it's very much an immigration story. It's people coming to America and mm -hmm. uh, how organized crime takes root. Um, but then it's, you go and you see the different types of criminal enterprises um, uh, that occur. And then what the law enforcement response is. So all the things, all the, the kind of uh, innovative ways in which uh, law enforcement has responded to that. And I should say the criminal justice system, because it could be uh, both about uh, law enforcement pursuing organized crime, but also, you know, what types of, you know, changes to law, legislative um, uh, measures have been put in place to stop organized crime. And the exhibits are really, you know, they're really amazing, Mike. I mean, I, and yeah. I know you've got, got a chance to see, you know, there's some incredible artifacts you know we uh you know yesterday was valentine's day we have the the wall from the the famous yeah, you know right, notorious right. uh saint valentine's day massacre in chicago right. um uh along with all the ballistics evidence from that crime there's there are you know there's multimedia a lot of original video um there are objects that tie back to the prohibition era there's you know you can use interactives where you can listen to uh wiretap recordings that that undercover agents took that were used to prosecute criminals there are some some very interactive spaces we have a in the the more contemporary crime and law enforcement area we uh we have a crime lab where you can mm -hmm. understand different types of forensic science topics and try your 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 hands at at uh fingerprint analysis or ballistics testing and um and then there's there's also a uh um uh going back to the prohibition era there's a, a whole speakeasy environment you know we call it the underground and we tell all of the kind of you know uh, you know cultural stories of the prohibition era so it's it's organized crime and law enforcement but it's also you know the politics of the day how you know businesses responded to prohibition and what people were doing so the birth of the the jazz era the mm -hmm. harlem renaissance you know the fashion flapper you know culture um and it's just such a, a wonderful rich environment so there's you know there's all sorts of things that people can do at the museum. I mean, it's really a tremendous, tremendous experience. Yeah, no, I mean, it is. I've been there about three or four times now, and uh, you're always learning something new, always finding out something new. Of course, I'm partial to the speakeasy, but, you know, I love that. I love that whole vibe. Um, also, you were talking about interactive, so the crime lab, but talk about the, that other interactive piece you have there with sort of uh, pretending like you're a police officer in, in certain scenarios. Yeah, so we we um, we're really fortunate to have this. We worked very closely with uh, the uh, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, um, as well as the UNLV uh, Criminal Justice Department and other subject matter experts to design this space. Um, and it's uh, and I have to mention it's also um, sponsored generously by the Stanley W. Ekstrom Foundation. This mm -hmm. space is all about use of force. So we talk about in the exhibits that surround the interactive, we talk about how the law defines force and what's excessive force. We talk about how that, that, um, how police department policies, um, will define use of force and what is excessive force. Um, the concept of a use of force continuum. 
So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but then more progressively, so the use of force continuum is largely, as you, I mean, you know this uh, as well as anyone, Mike. I mean, it's, um, you know, basically uh, um, uh, a person behaves in a particular way and depending upon how they're behaving, an officer is justified to use a corresponding level of force if necessary. We also know that more progressively, uh, police departments in Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is really at the forefront of, of this sort of thing, uh, train their officers in de-escalation techniques. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really, this whole space is really designed um, to look at how uh, how the best police departments, and you know, we believe that Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is a, you know, is a standard bearer in that regard. Right. Um, how they train their officers to respond um, both, you know, you know, before, during, and after incidents of use of force, because it's it's about, you know, how do you actually inter engage with uh, a person? Um, it's other types of uh, policies and procedures like the use of body cameras, uh, mm -hmm. and you know, you know, and as we see in a lot of situations. Uh, the difference between whether or not, you know, communities will trust the police department largely uh, surrounds uh, transparency. So how well do it? And, and again, Metro is, is really, uh, really great about this when something happens, getting out there quickly and communicating with the press and members of the community about what transpired and sharing that information. So what we try to do in this area um, is uh, uh, a person can go through the interactive. It's a firearm training simulator. Uh, you get a duty belt. You get a uh, a firearm that has, uh, you know, it's got a CO2 cartridge. So it feels real. It's got a laser sight on it. Uh, you get paired up with a staff member who's a training officer. And you get to walk in the shoes of an officer in training uh, and try to, you know, understand what these... Um, um, uh, situations are, are like. So, uh, you actually get greeted by, uh, uh, uh Metro personnel and you, so uh, one of your former guests, um, uh, Sasha Larkin, uh, yeah. is, uh, in that video. Uh, we thought it very important. You know, this is, uh, it is not designed to be a game. You know, it's not something mm -hmm. where you, you know, this is a serious, uh, uh, experience where you uh, and I think we convey, you know, really the uh, the gravitas of you know there is no more uh, important decision that a law enforcement officer makes than the the choice between you know whether or not to use uh, potentially deadly force. Uh, so you then go through a series of rooms. The first two rooms are these digital shoot don't shoot scenarios, uh, and then the last room uh, is. Uh, is basically a live action role play. So this is um, reality based training. And again, Metro Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is really, you know, you know, at the forefront of doing this reality based training. Because as we all know, it's one thing to interact with a video screen and just make a kind mm -hmm. of the binary shoot, don't shoot decision. It's something very different when you walk into a space and you have somebody who is uh, in role, in character. So you've been told, for example, that you are, when you go into this room, you're actually going into a parking lot. You're responding to a call of a suspicious character. Um, you know, and you, you go into this space 
and you see a person and now you've got to talk to them to figure out what's going on. It's not, you know, it's not all clear cut and you got to use your voice to really, you know, to try to, you know, de-escalate the situation and come to a, a, a resolution. And it is, this is um, one of, if not the highest rated area in the entire museum. I mean, we have people that come out of it, uh, you know, feeling just kind of um, amazed by the experience and, you know, having such a deeper kind of uh, respect for the challenge of uh, that a law enforcement officer uh, faces in these situations. And really, you know, the biggest takeaway, how important training is. Yeah, you know? yeah. no, I, I, especially if you think about it in, in today's environment with, you know, everything going on with law enforcement being scrutinized, having something like this and having citizens be able to go through. I remember Janice went through a great experience, right? Uh, to just be able to, to see what they have to go through. So yeah, I really wanted you to describe and talk about that. And those of you who end up going to the mob museum, uh, you definitely have to, have to, have to check out this particular one because it's so relevant, you know, to what's going on today. Uh, I want to take a step back. So you mentioned about, you know, Mayor Goodman, uh, being this visionary. How did you get involved with the Mob Museum? I mean, you've been, I understand you've been CEO since the impetus of this thing. All right. So how did that happen? Well, so I applied for a job. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I guess going back, um, I came to Las Vegas um, uh, for this job. So, my, you know, so uh, my wife, Joanne, our family, um, we were living on the East Coast. We were in central New York at the time and before that, New Jersey. Um, and my whole career has been in museums. Um, so, um, you know, in fact, I just, you know, just last month, it's uh, my 30th year. It's almost hard to believe uh, that I've been in in uh, working in museums. Wow. So, um, so I was I was looking for an opportunity um, and just saw an ad in the paper for this this uh, position that this uh, and so I, uh, I I came out to be the uh, the first hire. So Hold on for a second, I just need to pause because get it on phone. I got to have a move and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna pause. Sorry, sorry about that. No. Oh. Hey, so you just continue. You just continue. Oh, I'll um, just edit it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so. I was not uh, from Las Vegas. I was not, um, you know, I was always interested in the subject matter for sure. But, um, you know, that was not my my background. My background was uh, in um, uh, museums and museum management, museum leadership. So I was hired to be uh, the first employee. The uh, the the project was already underway. Um, okay. So at the time. You know, the city was overseeing, you know, so so the city kind of was the um, kind of catalyst for starting mm -hmm. this project. Uh, and they uh, they technically own the building. So we, uh, we, you know, we're we're in a 99 year lease of the building. Um, but they had the uh, I think we're we're bringing to the table all the resources necessary to create this museum, but also were, you know, had the the foresight to 
know that uh, it should be operated by a private group. So the city sets up an advisory board to kind of um, uh, start to guide the development of the, the project. Uh, and then that advisory board morphs into a board of directors. So 2007, uh, they incorporate um, the city is still overseeing really all of the funding and the resources for re rehabilitating the building and building out the exhibits. Uh, so it's, you can kind of think of it as kind of this slow passing of the baton from the city to the private uh, mm -hmm. nonprofit. Um, so at the time I joined, um, it was far enough along that um, that the exhibit developers had been contracted the construction group was you know the rehabilitation was underway um but they're starting to think about well you know you know we need an organization to actually run this endeavor so i was i was brought out to uh create the organization effectively i mean mm -hmm. you know, not to, like I, I mean again there's tremendous tremendous you know people involved in support around i mean amazing board amazing resources at the city but at right. the end of the day you know you need staff to actually you know you know market it you know figure it out you know how you uh how you're gonna open and you know you know open the doors every day and how you're gonna you know continue to you know these things are never you know, never just created and done, you know, they're, they're ongoing, you know, always works of, in progress. So, um, so that was really the, uh, the focus of, of what I was supposed to do. Right. So, yeah. And that's great. So from a leadership perspective, you, you, you're brought in and things are happening already, but you know, obviously your job is to think very strategically about where this is going to go or how you want to see it run. And a big part of that is, is being able to hire top talent. So yeah. how do you go about looking for top talent? What what do you what are some of your criteria that you look for? Uh, well I'll tell you a few things about Mike because it's you know, you uh you're right. I mean it is uh the the job is strategic and it's long term. It's also it was pretty granular. You know, my first day right. I uh, I showed up I you know I went to Best Buy to get my computer and my phone and uh you know and then <laughs> went to a Starbucks to figure out how, you know, start working on a plan, right? It's, uh, there's right. no roadmap for it and, and really nothing. I mean, um, which is great. I mean, it's exciting and it's full of all kinds of possibilities, but it's also, you know, it can also be daunting and, you yeah. know, to, you know, to your question, um, it's, you know, you have to set, um, you know, I think it's, it's both being very strategic and very tactical, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. you know, from a, from a strategic perspective, kind of understanding, making certain that you have the right kind of, um, understanding or best assumptions about how large is this organization going to be? What kind of, you know, what kind of budget are we going to be operating at? You know, these are the things that kind of put you, you know, start to kind of create the parameters, you know, around what types of individuals, you know, skills, experience, compensation levels are we going to be able to, you know, create these positions around how large will the organization be? All those sorts of things are going to dictate, you know, what what types of, you know, skill sets you need in this in the team that you bring in, uh, as well as what your wherewithal is going to be. You're not going to, you, you know, right. you, you know, if you you might want to recruit at a certain level, but that may require resources that you don't necessarily have. So, trying to understand those things, 
but then also be able to articulate the right vision for the organization that's going to make people really feel excited about, you know, anytime that you're attracting talent, I mean, you know this as much as anybody, it's a two-way street. I mean, right. you know, it's not just, you know, you, you know, you as the employer, you're not holding all the cards and just, uh, you know, you have to, uh, one, you know, make certain that there's an alignment between what, you know, what types of individuals, um, not everybody is a fit for every organization, right? So mm -hmm. what is... What is this organization? What is the nature of the work and the way in which we're going to be doing that work that makes it resonate with certain types of individuals? So, mm -hmm. you know, sitting down and clarifying what our mission is, making certain that we have a clear mission statement and, you know, mm -hmm. an understanding of what those strategic goals are, defining our core values, right? I mean, there's, there's, there are fundamental values that we should be employing in any organization, but then there's also the values like what is it that makes our organization distinctive? And again, mm -hmm. help, you know, these are, you know, and, and it's, I mean, this is such a rich topic. I mean, it's, you know, these things are never etched in stone and, you know, the, the values are all at once kind of a, a reflection of how the organization is and what it aspires to be. So, Right. Yep. Um, how does you know how do people that you're you're trying to attract to the organization fit in in that you know to that and you know are we the right match? So you know getting those right reference points. Um, so you know mission, vision, values, you know strategic goals, timeline, kind of parameters for what's the size and scope of what we're doing, and then. And then getting into the details too. I mean, the first couple of people we hired, um, I can remember, you know, hiring, you know, first I, you know, I hired um, uh, someone that was uh, really just going to be kind of a Swiss army knife uh, <laughs> kind of person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then the next hire was a marketing uh, professional. You can only hire so many people with, you know, trust me, we're going to have good benefits. Right. At some right. point, at some right. point, actually have to go get a, uh, um, you know, define what your benefits are. When are you know, you know, how much PTO are people going to get? What's your health plan going to be? Like there's like you you can't uh, you can't not attend to the details. I mean, those details are very important to people and uh, uh, you know, as they should be. I mean, they. Uh, right. Um, so there's a little bit of in the early days, you know, I mean, it's very much a startup and mm -hmm. a lot of toggling between these kind of grander, longer term vision types of things, but then also getting down, on, you know, getting down into the weeds. I mean, yeah, you have to when you're when you're creating something out of whole cloth, right? I mean, it, it's just it's the nature of the job. So from the time that you started this endeavor. How long did it take before you felt, and you, as you and I both know, you're never there, right? You're always constantly improving and moving forward. And we'll talk more about that with your organization. But when did you start feeling comfortable that the infrastructure that uh, you and others obviously helped create was solid and was really churning along? How long did that take? Well, I mean, in different respects, it took, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a great question. It's a hard question to answer. Um, you know, it's 
it it kind of depends and i think about it in terms of uh i guess a, a, a few different things i mean there's the the when when you start getting comfortable that this is a truly viable business we're on solid ground like you know um i feel good that we're you know we haven't gotten ahead of our skis with right. you know, getting too big too quick that sort of thing um and that's you know i i think really um like into the the second year of our operation started to feel really good that you know so i'll give you another example i mean just one of the things that you come to learn when you operate a venue like this um probably anywhere but you know particularly in las vegas there's certain seasonality right mm -hmm. so you you know that uh um you know springtime is very you know is great and then you know summertime you get a little bit of a different audience things start to go you know trail off a little bit end of august into september before they pick up again if you never never operated before you know that first that first september <laughs> you don't know if it's like like is are we going down and gonna come back up again or are we right. just you know so there's certain now like again, you have um like I wouldn't have gotten involved in this and the people that we this organization was surrounded by, um, I th I think virtually um uh in assured us of being successful long term. But you know, you 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 know, you still don't know what you don't know and you still have to mm -hmm. go through it, right? And you have to experience right. it and feel, you know, feel solid. So I think there's there's the the when did we start seeing that um you know get through that initial year and start seeing the kind of um that that upward trajectory, you know, that 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 attendance growth, the revenue growth, you know, and 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 that we're on a steady, you know, chart upward. I think you know, another way of answering your question is also about level of quality. And, mm. um, you know, are we truly, um, you know, we, we pride ourselves in being a world-class museum and some of the things, you know, early on in your development, um, you know, the exhibits were always like, you know, that we opened with were top notch were great. Um, some of the early programs and events, you know, there's learning in that, right? Right. Yeah. There's all the, you know, making certain that all the technology runs smoothly, that when you do a program in the courtroom, yeah. that everything runs as it should. Um, you know, when you start, like, like I, I think there's another, you know, other reference points of, you know, points in time where you start feeling like, yeah, now we're like, we are reliably hitting the mark with, you know, this is, truly world-class quality that we're presenting at and can feel good mm. about. Um, another big milestone for us was when we got accreditation from the American Alliance of Museums. So okay. that, is, um, that, uh, that didn't happen um, uh, for, it, it took us five years to get there. And that sounds like a long time, but that's actually very fast for uh, a new museum to get accredited uh, in that amount of time. Um, only, um, you know, there's, there's roughly 38,000, uh, museums, uh, nationally, um, you know, uh, a bit more than a thousand are accredited. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it is, um, it's a, it is a small percentage that go through that process. 
right. uh, it's pretty rigorous. I mean, they go and they they pick through all of your, um, you know, all of your plans, all your documents, make certain that you're, you know, if you if you have if you have a collection of artifacts that you're adhering to the the best practices in the industry. Um, and when you get it, it's extremely validating that, you know, again, it's, it's, yeah. we, we operate as well as any, any museum. Um, and again, not to say that we can't be better in different ways, but, but we are, um, we are at a high standard of professionalism. Um, and for us, I think that was particularly important as a milestone to get to, um, especially given that, you know, People don't necessarily uh, expect that a place called the Mob Museum in Las Vegas <laughs> is going to be a best-in-class, you know, you know, museum, um, um, uh, you know, in terms of its different, you know, policies, procedures, and practices. That's the, you know, so so we wanted to make sure that we had that that validation. Um, and then I'd say that I think probably the last thing I'd say about it, Mike, is that just you know, at the end of the day. <laughs> as much as um you know there's particular people that we want to make proud and we mm -hmm. want to have the 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 you know the stamp of approval from AAM and we like getting different awards and such um at the end of the day you know it's about you know the experience that we deliver to the general public and so we have always been careful about tracking guest you know visitor feedback the guest ratings the guest comments uh, and when we, you know, when we were able to see that, you know, this is, you know, if, if we take the, you know, the number one metric that we, we track, you know, it's the scale of one to 10, your likelihood to recommend the museum to a friend or family member. That is okay. the, like among all the different metrics we track. That's the one we, we probably pay the most attention to, you know, like consistently like over, you know, nine, you know, with, you know, 10 being extremely likely, one being not likely at all. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you know, the marks, um, you know, the guest experience marks have been outstanding. And that's, you know, that's the most important thing for us. I mean, it's, it's why we're here. Yeah, I mean, you know, number one, congratulations on that distinction, right, of being one of the few museums in the country to have, you know, that kind of accolade, you know, that kind of stamp of approval, as it were. And that's that's huge. Uh something you said just about the question. So, you know, having been there and seeing you you and your team, the way they interact, you guys you know, you know, obviously they have you have great rapport with your team. But, you know, from you know, the person that's checking your band before you walk in to whomever, they all have this this really great uh, way of approaching customers or the customer experience and then you you harken back to mission vision values how how do you as a leader impart those values um to your troops and the reason i asked is i remember reading a book years ago by jack Welch. remember the former uh chairman yeah. of ge and when he took over you know he, there were certain things he needed to accomplish and he he said you know whatever the mission and vision statements were, he made sure that they heard it over and over and over again. So nobody could ever say that they didn't know what it was. That's one approach, right? So how, you know, how, how, how do you approach this? Yeah. Because it, it means everything, right? Well, I, I, I agree a hundred percent, Mike. And I think that, uh, um, you come at it, 
from a few different angles. Um, you know, one is, you know, the reference points have to be all around us. So even mm -hmm. if we're not saying it, like they have, you know, I have, you know, like core values in my mission, you know, hanging up on the wall, they're out yeah. in the hallway, you know, they got to be in places where you constantly yeah. are saying like that we're, you know, truly referring to them, right? And that we yeah. use, you know, that is part of the lexicon. So we have in our core values, I'm very proud of this, that we, we created core values that were really what we believe unique to us. I mean, they have a mm -hmm. lot of underlying similarities to a lot of values in a lot of other organizations. But, you know, our, our values, bold thinking, you know, you know, which reflects how we, we came to be in the first place, you know, it was a, a you know, a giant, like, you know, you know, big audacious idea. And, you know, so much of what we do as an organization is trying to be true to that, right? So right. we, so when we're having a creative session, we're brainstorming, we're thinking about things, you know, sometimes we need to remind ourselves, are we being, you know, you know, is this bold thinking? Is this as good as we got? Or is this, right. you know, should be, um, you know, another core value, people driven, like mm -hmm. we, you know, we care deeply about people and it's, you know, guests, coworkers, other contributors to the organization. We know that people, you know, people that work here, you know, you can't thrive if you don't feel safe and secure. You know, those mm -hmm. are like, again, you know, we, we point to taking responsibility, one of our core values, right? So each of us owning our part. So if there's something that has gone awry, you know, we start with ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm, What's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like things are rarely only ever somebody else's or so, you know, the, you know, because of, of, of something else. Right? right. So I think it's, it's having the reference points. It's using it. It's not just reciting it, but it's using mm -hmm. the words and using what the underlying meaning is part of your ongoing, your daily kind of discourse and decision making process. I think it's also, I mean, well, a few things. I mean, one, I like to think that as we're selecting people in the organization, you know, as part of that recruitment process, we talk about this, we signal in the position descriptions, the announcements, we talk about our culture, you know, so one of the things that we point out um, is that this is this is an organization in which things are continuously evolving and, you know, you have to be comfortable with change. Not yeah. everybody's comfortable with change. It doesn't make you, you know, not a good professional. It doesn't mean that you're not a good, per, you know, person or a good worker, but right. it might mean that this isn't the organization for you because, you know, this is not a place where we only ever do things the way in which we used to do it. We're constantly experimenting right. and modifying. So, some people, you know, some people thrive off of that. Some people yeah. are okay with it. Some people, it's really not the place for you. So part of it is about having those frank, honest conversations, talking about it during the, you know, the, the screening process, but then mm -hmm. also signaling to people immediately about what kind of organization this is. If you are a full-time employee, you know, that we hire to this organization, you know, we will give you a book as soon as you get hired. Um, now we don't stand over you to make certain you read it, but this particular book, you know, is a leadership book, and it's largely, you know, it's um, it's about leadership, but it's also largely about 
you know, some other basic comments about empathy and about trying to see things from the perspective of others. And, and I think it's, it's both what you can learn from that book, but even if you don't process all of the concepts within the book, it's, you know, the act of me giving it to you <laughs> also should tell you that this is the sort of thing we value. Like we right. think that like process is as important as outcomes, how we treat one another, you know, matters as much as what we're able to get done with one another. You know, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's setting those right signals. And then I think, you know, the, the, the last thing that I would, would add to this that I think is that comes to mind that is, is critically important. You, you got to model the way, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, so we have to constantly remind ourselves as leaders in the organization, and I put myself, you know, you know, first and foremost, in this regard, you know, you can't, uh, you can't expect people to do things, or to to behave a certain way, or to, you know, buy into your goals and your expectations, if you're not showing that you walk the walk, right? Right. You're not doing it like that you're not doing it yourself. So, um, so that's critically important. Yeah, no, I, you know, I just love the way uh, you, you got your mission and values statements all over the place as a visual and how you model it and your team models it. And you, you could just tell. You could tell that there's a lot of work done by you and your team to foster, you know, this atmosphere. I've seen, you know, a lot of places where it, it, a mission and vision statement is there, but it's never reinforced, right? It's just a piece of paper, right? Which means absolutely nothing so i think that's, that's great a couple more questions before we have to wrap up um you obviously you, you've, you've got tremendous success in this position and in the mob museum in the community um can you think of a time in your career where you made a mistake of some sort and it really helped you learn and became uh, become a better leader afterwards Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, so earlier in my career, um, you know, I can think about numerous times where I uh, I did not communicate with others uh, the way in which I should. Right. right. You know, I might think uh, um, I've been there, you know, I, uh, <laughs> like like and I think and I think, you know, part of this is about, you know, what we were just saying, talking about a, a few minutes ago, just that the process is as important as the outcome. And I think mm -hmm. that for me, you know, there were there were points in time, you know, earlier in my career where I might have had the right position. I might have had the right uh, like my idea or my solution to a problem might have been the best on the table. But the way in which I delivered that was just like was just not good, and it's not right. you, you, uh, um, you know. I, I mean, you gotta you gotta be a good person to work with, right? You can't be. A, it doesn't matter if I know best. If I'm a you know if I'm a jerk about it, like yep. like I'm not gonna get. I'm not going to get people to to align with me. I'm not going to get people to want to work with me and want me to be successful. And I'm not going to be successful. So I can right. certainly think of occasions where um, terrible delivery <laughs> or, um, yeah, or headstrong or just not like not open, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so those uh, really important lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Communications is key. 
Um, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah, I've stumbled a few times myself, you know, but, you know, you remember those things. So you hopefully you get better, you know, going forward. Um, and speaking of going forward, I wanted to make sure that we, we had enough time to talk about well, in the vein of continuous improvement and et cetera, et cetera. What are, what are the future plans for the Mob Museum? Oh, well, you got a, we have an array of things that we're, uh, we're contemplating. I mean, uh, you know, so we, uh, we've had a, a great deal of success and, uh, which have brought with them some good problems to have. I mean, the sure. place gets, uh, uh, we do get, we get crowded. Um, and that gets challenging. I mean, it's, you know, and there's no way to, you know, at some point you can try to, you know, figure out different ways to incentivize people to come at, you know, less busy times of the day. But at some point, you know, it's a historic building. It's not going to get any big, bigger and you can only right. fit people in it. Um, so we, uh, um, and there's so much more we can do. I mean, we've, uh, you know, you know, so attendance is now over 400,000 people a year. We wow. have events that are constantly, you know, we, we do such a wonderful array of special programs. So if you look at our event calendar, there's public programs we do where we bring in speakers or have panel discussions or we do film screenings, you know, and we could do so many more of these uh, as well as private events. But all of these things crowd out different spaces within the uh, within the existing museum. So we know that we need to get bigger and we're going to have to uh, uh, identify a plan for expansion. Um, mm -hmm. Before we get there, we do have we have been working on an event plaza. So we have an outdoor space that's going to be, I think, a wonderful kind of, you know, it's modeled to be, an, a, you know, an outdoor urban park uh, type environment adjacent to the museum. Uh, be right. a lovely place for people to spend time, particularly in the evening. Um, and uh, and that we'll be able to program as well. Uh, so there's there's physical expansion. There's also things that we're working on. Uh, you know, digitally that will help us, you know, we get almost 3 million people a year visit our website. So aside from all the people that are coming here in person, we know that there's, you know, craving for this content, you know, from people that, you know, maybe will will not even be able to come to Las Vegas. So how do we, you know, how do we better reach those folks? So, uh, yeah. so we're working on a podcast of our own. Uh, don't worry. Not going to, no competition with the. That's okay. You know, it's, okay. uh, it's a symbiotic relationship. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, but there's a lot that we can do in that vein. And we do a lot of other programs that run beneath, you know, under the radar. You know, we do a mm -hmm. lot of educational outreach. You know, our educators go out to schools, uh, and we'll give, uh, lessons on, you know, STEM topics, forensic science, for example, we'll talk about constitutional law or how Las Vegas came wow. to be. And there's so much more that we can do that will be helpful for the, uh, the immediate community. So, um, big appetites. It's just a matter of figuring out what, you know, what comes first. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier, you know, a big hairy, I think I'm going to tell you back at Microsoft, we used to call it BHAG, right? Yeah. Big hairy yeah. audacious soul. Jim Collins. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 great. Uh, I, I think this this actually I, I'm I'm glad that we had this conversation uh, um, because I think your description of your walk, your leadership walk, your business journey, the history of the museum, uh, what it is now, what it's going to be, but really more importantly, just the the values 
and uh, and the mission that you and your your troops have, and I've observed it at close and personal. I have seen um, the way uh, they react towards you, and uh, with respect, and also with with friendship. You can tell there's there's a bond there, and that's you can't fake that. That that's that's something that's genuine. So you know, kudos to you, but also kudos to your team. You know, for uh, being able to provide the community with this experience. I love the fact that you're planning on expanding through podcasts and other places to reach people who are not in this area. I think that's important. Um, and I think that you are a, a really great example of what leaders should be. And so I'm not just saying it because we're friends, but it's the truth. Uh, and uh, I've learned uh, a lot actually myself in this, uh, in this podcast that, uh, you know, best practices as well. So that can take to some of the other endeavors I have. So, um, Really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man. You got a lot of stuff going on. So thanks for taking the time. Mike, I, I appreciate it so much. And I could just say, um, you know, I, I'm really lucky that I get, you know, I get opportunities like this. I get to stand out in front and I get, you know, when people say really nice things about the museum, I'm the one that gets to, uh, gets yeah. to hear them and, and gets, you know, a lot of credit gets thrown to me. But I think you, uh, you know, you hit hit the nail on the head. The team is incredible. The people that surround this organization, the staff that are here, the volunteers, the board, you know, our advisors. I mean, it's uh, um, that's what makes this place great. Yeah, I agree. And we're going to have to schedule some time to get to the speakeasy. <laughs> right on. Thanks so much, Mike. Really appreciate right, it. Thank you. You have a great day. And uh, thanks a lot. Thanks. Well, thank you all of you for watching uh, this uh, this edition of the Roman Leadership Podcast. Uh, I think as you as you listen to Jonathan speak, you'll be able to glean a lot of nuggets. You went through a lot of different uh, leadership areas, uh, whether, whether it's strategy or getting granular or mission and vision and how to treat people. I think that was the most important part. How do you treat people? So. Please give me your feedback. I love the feedback that you're giving me on the podcast. And uh, stay tuned. We have some, some really great guests as well coming up in the future. So uh, uh, keep on with your Roman leadership, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.